the theme for today is unlocking the potential in others. And when I first read this theme, I thought, what the heck is Pastor Peter going to be talking about here? Because um, to me, it sounded like one of those newfangled sort of, I don't know, new age type things you see sometimes, um, maybe on the social media or whatever. And uh, I note that in my work as, um, as a public servant, I've had opportunity to undertake a number of leadership courses over time. And you know the ones I mean. They're designed to teach you how to be a great team leader. You know, I have some staff working for me. How to get the best out of your team. It's all about professional development. Now, human wisdom and the science of psychology, is, they, have, they, has many, they have many different models of how to do this. And on the screen, you probably can't read it very well, but there's, there's some examples of them. These models to follow, which supposedly help you to achieve this, to, you know, to better yourself and to get the best out of others. You know, there's the growth mindset, have that growing type mindset. The grow model, you can see the steps there to follow. The idea model, the idea of the iceberg there where a lot of it's all underwater, all those things that make up your personality, who you are. All of these things rely on either motivating yourself or motivating others by following some sort of process or by gaining a greater self-awareness. In today's readings, though, we see that as a priesthood of believers, as followers of Christ, we're called simply just to testify to what he has done in our lives and to the mercy that he has shown us. Like John the baptizer, we are called to point away from ourselves and towards the light of the world. There's no human effort or method that can release people to their full potential as God's loved sons and daughters. Only faith in Jesus Christ as their saviour. And so the Bible readings for today from 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty works of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And from John 1, 6-8 and 19-28, to there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And here's the testimony of John the Baptist. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent by the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? 
John answered them, I baptise with water. Among you, though, stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptising. I invite you now to please stand and join me as we respond to God speaking to us in his word by confessing our faith as the body of Christ, his church. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful that you've given us the living word, Jesus, and that through your written word, the Bible, you point us to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to write this word on our hearts and on our lives so that we may be enriched and empowered that the truth of uh, 1 Peter 2.10 would become real for us, that once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy, and that we can then be people who show and give and share mercy with others. So we welcome your presence among us now. Amen. So as uh, Michael shared, we're looking at the, the theme, Unlocking the Potential in Others. As you look at the cast for Advent and Christmas, and if you had been given the role of selecting the cast, would you have chosen them? You know, we've got old Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, long past childbearing age, and they're told that they're going to be parents to a kid who ends up going into the desert wearing uh, sort of weird clothes and with this strange diet, yeah, that's a bit weird for a start. Then, then we've got an insignificant Jewish teenager of no renown whatsoever by the name of Mary. We've got her uh, fiancé, just a humble carpenter. Surely someone with a few more credentials would have been a little bit better. We've got some kings from the east, but you know, maybe that's a little bit spooky, but a bit, bit new ageist themselves, uh, astrologers, uh, what were they into? And then we've got shepherds who in their day were the lowest of low. They were, they were the scum of the earth, the, the people who weren't trusted with much except a few sheep. We've got Herod, a, uh, a despotic megalomaniac king who eradicates all the kids in his town under the age of two. The cast is broad, the cast is wide, the cast is varied and quite frankly rather bizarre. But when you look at the church today and you look at the metaphors of the church that the Bible talks about, how it's a body, how it's an army, how it's a family, how it's an assembly, 
you see that we also are very vast and there's lots of variety. There's lots of potential. Potential is an interesting word because potential is only good if it's realised. And what's the use of having a lot of potential in the body of Christ if it's not released? Someone once described the church as like a game of AFL football. You've got 40 players desperately in need of a rest, watched by 40,000 desperately in need of exercise. (laughs) And uh, when you think about it that way, it makes you wonder, doesn't it? That mindset is crippling the kingdom of God. We've got just a few while the rest of us are spectators. We've got just a few while the rest of us allow them to carry on. Occasionally we'll give a little bit of thanks. And if this mindset is hampering the work of the kingdom of God, it gets even worse because a negative mindset just establishes people's inability. So when I'm in the crowd watching 40 elite players, I compare myself with them and think, I'm I'm not good enough. I can't kick like them. I can't handball like them. I can't run like them. And so if our mindset is that there's an elite that gets to do everything and we're not good enough, it just establishes and endorses our inferiority And again, the kingdom of God is hampered, not because we don't think we're good enough, but because we don't think that our gifts are necessary and can't be used. Where would would I be in the Christmas script? There's no place for me, is what we can sometimes think. And so people become consumed by their not-enoughness. I travel a lot, and I speak a lot, and I hear a lot of people, and as I hear a lot of people... It's a common theme. It's a weird phrase, isn't it? Not enoughness. But as I hear hear people speak, well, what could I do? Uh, What could I contribute? How can we turn this around? I don't think there's a role for me. I don't know if my opinion is welcomed. Uh, Last week I talked about driving lessons and the keys. You know... When you give keys to your teenager, you're actually saying, I trust you. Now, the interesting thing is, when you give those keys, because you also were a teenager once, you know that even though in giving those keys you're saying, I trust you, you know that not every action is going to be trustworthy. But you still give the keys anyway, don't you? Twice in a space of a couple of chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses a phrase that's similar. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to his disciples, I give you the keys to the kingdom. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He says the same in Matthew 18. What's to bind? To bind is to lock, to lock up. What you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. What you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. Very interesting that the Reformation 
used a phrase that has become embedded in Lutheran theology called the office of the keys. It is the role that is given to the church to lock and to unlock, specifically when it comes to the sins of people. I have here in my hand my Luther's small catechism. And under the heading, Authority to Forgive Sins, it says Christ gave to his church the authority to forgive sins or not forgive them. In other words, to lock them or to unlock them, to bind them or to loose them. Now, who is the office of the keys given to? Well, a lot of people would think it's given to the pastor. But if it's only given to the pastor, then we've got the same situation as a game of footy. We've got 40 people desperately in need of arrest with 40,000 people desperately in need of exercise. So have a clear listen to what it says when you confess your sins private, this is private confession, when you confess your sins privately to a pastor or another Christian, this is what happens. First, tell the person about your sins, then the person. So the office of the keys is given to the church and to everyone who is a participant in the body of Christ. You should confess all your sins to God, even those you're not aware of, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, but to a pastor or another Christian, confess only those sins that you know about or that perplex you. Uh, later on, it says the same thing. You know, tell the pastor or another Christian. The other person then says. So the office of the keys is given not just to a pastor, but the office of the keys is given to every single one of you. You are given keys by the Holy Spirit. Now, keys go with trust. That's why after the confession of sins before, when I was declaring the forgiveness, I said three times how the Father trusts you. Because when you give keys, you are giving trust. Traditionally in Australian society, not anymore, but years ago when I was a lad, you know, at, at your 21st, you, you get given a, a big key. And the big key, it's a sign of coming of age. You know, you, you, you can now enter society. You're now responsible. When you get a promotion at work, you are given the keys. Ah, that means you can get to work early and leave late. You can now lock and unlock. Or you're given the keys to the delivery van. Or you're given the alarm code. You know, with increased responsibility comes keys, alarm codes, but also with it, trust that goes with it. And with that trust authority and permission you have authority to drive this car because I've given you the keys you have authority to be in my house because you've got the alarm code Jesus says you have authority to forgive sins because I have forgiven you and I am empowering you through my Holy Spirit and we see this in first Peter first Peter 2 verse 5 this is a bit earlier than what we read today Paul uh, Peter is saying that like living stones so a house is not just one brick, but it's a whole lot of bricks. And the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the church is not just one stone, but it's a whole lot of stones which together make up the body. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. So a priest in the Old Testament was someone who offered sacrifices, but now we get to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Christ. And then in our Bible reading for today, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people 
in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. From this phrase, the priesthood, um, the, that you're a holy priesthood and a royal priesthood, Martin Luther in the Reformation uh, coined the phrase, the priesthood of all believers. So this message has two levels to it. One is that as a Christian congregation, we don't want to be like the footy match, having 40 people in need of arrest, watched by 40,000 in need of exercise. So we want to release the body of Christ. But the second level is that to remind us that while there are works to be done within a congregation, the main work is not done in the congregation. The main work is done where you live, in your homes, in your families, in your neighbourhoods, in your shopping centre. That's what it says, that we may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. So some people think that Martin Luther's rediscovery of the priesthood of all believers means that, ah, this is what's happening today because Michael, who is not an ordained pastor, ah, he is up here serving. This is the priesthood of believers in action. That's one small aspect of it. When Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers, what he was doing, and this is the example he used, he said, the person who is milking the cow has an equally valid vocation and calling in life as the priest who is standing in the church. And so you are a priest wherever you are. When you're driving your taxi, you're a priest. When you're speaking to your Centrelink officer, you're a priest. Why? Because you are someone who has been redeemed, chosen, by God, yet once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. Yet the grace of Jesus Christ is abundant for us, so we carry that grace wherever we go. That means we are transporters of God's grace. So when you're washing dishes at your sink, it's a priestly activity. When I'm watching Steve Smith this afternoon, I will be carrying out a priestly activity. <laughs> My wife will be in the garden, but I will be in front of the TV like most good blokes. And uh, she will remind me that I have other priestly activities. <laughs> so wherever you go, whatever you do, you do it as a priest of God. In other words, you can't be in the army of God and be AWOL at the same time. We are not absent without leave. We are people who are on display for the world to see. There's a bloke called John Wimber. John Wimber um, was the founder of the Vineyard Church, but before he was the founder of the Vineyard Church, he was a member of a rock and roll band and he was a drug addict. And his life was spiralling downwards until he was converted and became a Christian. And he did two things. He joined a local congregation and he started reading his Bible. He just couldn't get enough of his Bible. And he would just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And one day after some months, he went to the pastor of the congregation where he was and he asked the question, he said, uh, when do we get to do the stuff? And the pastor said, well, what do you mean, do the stuff? And he says, well, I've been reading about Jesus, you know, casting out demons, healing the sick, um, feeding the poor, uh, standing up for the disenfranchised. And the pastor said, oh, we don't do that here. And he said, what do we do? And he said, well, your job is to attend the services in the building 
and my job is to preach to you. To which John Wimber famously replied, you mean I gave up drugs for this? And then John Wimber, as he started to develop as a Christian leader, developed the phrase, which makes more sense if you know a lot about American sport, everyone gets to play. Whether it's gridiron or basketball or baseball, in America, there's always a lot of people sitting on the bench or in the dugouts, (laughs) chewing gum. (laughs) And John Wimber says... We don't have people sitting in the dugouts in the kingdom of God. Everyone gets to play. Why? Because everyone has a gift. Everyone is in the Christmas story somewhere, even those who dress a little bit strange and eat locusts. So the Christmas cast really does show us, doesn't it, that everyone gets to play. How how practically can we do this uh, for others? Well, firstly... You unlock the potential in others by placing them on your shoulders. Not literally, of course, but figuratively, John the Baptist placed Jesus on his shoulders. You know, are you the one? I am not. Surely you are. I am not. You must be. I am not. And then he pointed to Jesus. He put Jesus on his shoulders. You release the potential in others when you realize that you exist to further them, not just yourself. You see, there's a lot of language in church circles that talks about my gifts, my calling, my ministry. But really, the only reason I've got gifts are to serve the body. The only reason I'm involved in a ministry is so that people can be ministered to. It's never about me, but it's always about someone else. And the phrase, putting other people on your shoulders, is uh, my phrase from... You know, the, the example I use um, is the, the person going to see the, the Christmas pageant. You don't take your three-year-old grandson to the Christmas pageant and say, stand there, Johnny, and then hop on his shoulders so that you can get a better view. Now, you've had your time. You then put Johnny on your shoulders so that he can see. And usually with Johnny on your shoulders, his hands are over your eyes and over your glasses and you've got ice cream dripping down your front. It's a very messy role, it's a sacrificial role, it's a servant role, it's a John the Baptist role to place others on your shoulder, but that's how you unlock the potential in others. If we hog all the jobs, how are others going to get a go? And same out there in the world, there are so many people who uh, need someone to give them a boost that will respond when we do. Secondly, you understand the difference between delegation and empowerment. This isn't only true in a congregation, but it's true in a home and in a family. Now, please, there are different definitions for this. This is my definition. My definition is that when you delegate, you actually delegate tasks rather than responsibilities. You know, when Julie asks me to go shopping, I'm not responsible for the menu I'm not responsible for what's in the pantry. I'm not responsible for what's in the cleaning cupboard. I'm responsible to buy those things that are on that list. I don't know where they go. I don't know how they fit into our week. So I am delegated the task of shopping. I'm a bit anal about this. I write down the aisles. 
on the side. I know Foodland off by heart, and I go, and I carry out my delegated task. If Julie was to say, now make something out of this, um, that would take uh, a whole new level of responsibility that I haven't been ushered into yet. So empowerment is when you don't just give tasks, but when you give responsibility to a bigger outcome, and you say, this is yours, I trust you with it, you do it how you see best. When I delegate, I'm saying, Michael, here's what I want you to do, and I'd like you to do it this way. So he is doing what I want in the way I would want it done, and somehow he's got to mould and shape his personality into what I have asked him to do. But if I say, Michael, here's the area for which you're now responsible. Use your gifts and your competencies and your creativity, your ability to draw people resources, and whatever way you are led, you do it, and I will walk alongside of you with that. That's empowerment. That's how you unlock the potential in others. I wish someone had told me this when my kids were that age. I thought my job was to make them little Peters and Julies. But that's delegation. My job's to make them the best they can be and to release the power of the Holy Spirit in them so that they can grow up in life saying, yeah, I, I am trusted. I have been given responsibility. I can carry these things out. And then you resource them in order to see them prosper. You don't just leave them to their own devices. Whether it's a new small group leader that you're training, whether it's someone new joining your music ministry team, whether it's a new cook, Peter, that's getting alongside of you in the kitchen for the Monday night things, um, or whether it's a, a kid at home, you resource them to see them prosper because when you give the resources, uh, people fly. Delegation may mean giving tasks and empowerment may mean giving responsibilities, but just because we give people responsibilities doesn't mean we leave them on their pat alone. But in order to see them prosper and to unlock the potential, we keep believing them and that means that we walk alongside of them. Not ahead of them, so that they've got to run to catch up. Not behind them, so that we're pushing or prodding, but alongside. That can be very frustrating for someone like myself. Uh, Julie and I love walking and it seems some days, no matter how slow I go or how many times I walk backwards, she's always five metres behind me. That's because when we go for a walk, I'm out to get my heart rate up and she's out to smell flowers. Hmm, we may have to talk about that. But when you walk alongside someone, it, it's the most empowering thing in the world. That is where trust is transferred. That is where they will shine. You journey in community. Um, I was up in uh, Loxton a while ago and uh, a, a young lad up there who had just got his license said to his dad, Dad, can I drive the Prado? And he says, you can't afford to drive the Prado. And he said, what do you mean? And he said, it takes $200 to fill this thing up with diesel and uh, if you're driving it, I'm going to keep an, uh, a notebook and you're going to pay for every bit of diesel you uses." you use. And he said, well, what can I do? And he says, buy your own car. You've been working for long enough. So the lad brings home a 1991 Corolla that's done 300,000 kilometers. And he says, dad, I got it for $200. And dad says, there must be a catch. And he says, there is, it's got a cracked head. 
I said to dad, does the lad know how to fix it? And I love the dad's answer. He said, not yet. (laughs) And I said, who's going to teach him? Are you? And he said, not me, I don't know how. And I said, who then? And he said, the community will teach him. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, in our circle of friends, there will be someone who will be able to teach him. And when they are teaching him, I will be there alongside of him, learning with him. I went around the corner and wrote it in my phone, exactly as he said it, because I didn't want to forget it. You unlock the potential of others in community. Because as you learn, I'm learning. As you, I'm teaching you, you're teaching me. And, and, and we're sharing with each other. And as you journey in your community, you learn. This is why Jesus calls his disciples and then spends three years going up and down the country, uh, basically camping out with them. And it's in between that the questions were asked and it's in between that they grew and it's in between that they understood a little bit more tomorrow than they did yesterday. And so potential is not unlocked, uh, as Michael rightly pointed out earlier, just just through a self-help book or, or just through a course but it's a lifetime of investing in other people. And in community, it's always the whole that is greater than the individual. I've often wondered about John the Baptist. How did he feel when Jesus didn't come and rescue him out of jail? You know, it's easy to talk about the early days of John the Baptist's ministry, but what about the last days when John the Baptist is in jail and he says to his disciples, go and say to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? You know, uh, what's going on here? Why am, why am I not rescued out of jail? And Jesus sends the message back, go and tell him, you know, the blind see, the deaf hear, the, the poor have good news preached to them. And, and John, John's okay with that answer because John's a community person and it's almost, he doesn't have a death wish, but, but he goes, well, the whole is greater than the individual. And that's why we journey together in community, because the whole is greater than the individual. I talked about this last week. You let people make mistakes. If we don't make mistakes, uh, we don't grow. And part of the royal priesthood means that there's a royal lot of mistakes. And you show them what's important and of lasting value. The Father's heart. Jesus as king and his kingdom, the empowering of the Holy Spirit, that we are people, as 1 Peter 2.10 says, who had no mercy but now have received mercy. We are the ones who God in Jesus has been merciful to. We share that. We share it again. We share it again and we share it again. The other day our grandkids were over and a Christmas card arrived uh, from someone in this congregation actually and the Christmas card was a brief telling of the Christmas story what a grand opportunity two grandkids on Gramps's lap Christmas card open Christmas story being told why? because we take every opportunity to share what's important and what's of lasting value let me close would have you chosen John the Baptist? I wouldn't have I would have gone for someone with a little bit more polish, a bit more of an advanced advertising campaign, 
a bit more of a social media profile, someone who knew the uh, ins and outs of how to point to Jesus properly. But here's the thing. Gifts are unlocked. Humans reach their new creation potential when we see them through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, not through human eyes. And when we see other people through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, as I said, that's when their new creation potential, because the whole kingdom of God's about the new creation, that's when it's unlocked and they start to grow into who they already are in Christ. Their in Christness comes out. Their identity as a daughter, as a son, emerges and is on display for others to see. The whole world wants to see people who are secure in their identity, who know whose they are, and now who know who they are, and who know where they're going because they know whose they are. People who know whose they are and who they are are the most attractive people in the world. They are people who had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. This is part of your Advent and Christmas privilege. It's part of your birthright, not only to be recipients of mercy, but in passing it on to unlock mercy in others. Amen. Father, we thank you that you see us in the Holy Spirit through Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that our identity is in you and that we can live in you because of who you are to us. Amen.